We're going to begin to study the epistle of 1 Peter. What we're going to do in this class, we're not going to study it verse by verse, you know, like that. We could do it that way, but I didn't feel led to do it that way. Several months ago, just felt impressed by the Holy Spirit to do 1 Peter. Now, we're doing it, the women of the well are doing it, and, you know, it's been emphasized, at least the fifth chapter has been emphasized on Sunday mornings and the sermons. So the Holy Spirit is telling us something here. And I'm going to try to get through this today because I need to just do that. We're going to take chunks of Scripture and outline or emphasize what we believe the Holy Spirit wants to emphasize from a particular passage we will not discuss everything in the passage. There will be things in the passage that you may think, man, why didn't they say this? They should, etc. We understand that. It is very, very difficult for both of us to take a passage and try to condense it and emphasize an aspect or two from the passage when there are 38 verses in here that need to be emphasized. So remember that, and if you would bear with us. Uh, we're going to teach together. I will be more prone to be used in a way, and David and I discussed this the other day as we were looking at the passages ahead of us. I'm much more prone to emphasize the theological. Okay. David is more prone to emphasize the applicational, if that's even a word. And so the theological is extremely important because it is the foundation and the basis and the reason for everything practical. But the theological is given so that the practical can be practically manifesting the glory of God. So you see the necessity of both. We are given theology to know who God is in himself and how he is, and we're to walk that out practically so we are a demonstration of who God is and how God is. So we must make sure that one is not more important than the other. Both of them go together. Do we see that? Because typically or too often in churches, people say, oh, I, I prefer this or I prefer that. No, we should not prefer either one. We should prefer both as a unit. All right. So, Father, again, opening your word. Father, your word says, for the word of God is alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Father, this morning and as we go through this word, we trust and ask the Holy Spirit to be piercing our hearts, dividing of soul and spirit. Father, causing us to be convicted, encouraged, corrected, led, built up protected, provided for, all of this by your holy word. So, Father, encourage us today. Build us up today in Jesus' name. Amen. As we go through, let's talk a little bit about the author. I'm not going to mention much. The author of First Peter is who? The Apostle Peter. And I think everybody knows enough about the Apostle Peter. We don't need to know very much more. But... We look at the verses as they begin, and we'll look at those in a moment, and we'll see that, uh, well, let me, let me not do it that way. This is not a verse by verse. First of all, do you have the outline there? 
how we're outlining it. These are going to be the six basic chunks. It doesn't mean that each chunk is a week. It just means these are the chunks. And so next week, the chunk will be verses 3 to 12, I think. Yeah. So today's chunk and next week's chunk will stand on their own. After that, we'll just have to see how the Lord wants us to divide it. As we look at an overview here, seeing what the Holy Spirit is using, is saying to us as he speaks to First Peter. So uh, I just put this together as an overview statement, a, a statement that what I understand, what I feel led to share as a controlling thought for First Peter. There are other ways of saying the same thing. So this is not a doctrinal statement. It's a statement by a man uh, who understands First Peter this way. The emphasis that I'll give you is what the Holy Spirit has given me. It's not different than maybe it may be different a little bit than what he has given you. You understand what I'm trying to say here? God has to speak to each one of us concerning his scripture. This letter presents God's dominion in and over the sufferings of his people as he uses sufferings to purify and strengthen to manifest the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And so as a preparatory statement, <clears throat> first Peter is about suffering. It's about living in an alien world as God's people. Why is this more? Well, I, I don't, I, I won't say it's more apropos today. I don't really like saying this is more today than it ever has been. Because it's always been that we are aliens in a foreign land. But I think today the issue of suffering, the issue of our alienation from the world, from the culture, from politics, from whatever is happening in the world is more acute, is more uh, manifested, is more accentuated than ever before. We are as alien as we ever have been. The world is as antagonistic as it ever has been. But I think what we're seeing politically, I think what we're seeing globally, I think what we're seeing financially in, in all kinds of areas is there seems to be an intensification of an attack against God's people. Do you see that? And so this letter should be very apropos to us as we learn to walk with God by faith through this wilderness into which we have been called by God as God's people, as the Israelites were called by God to walk through the wilderness for many years until they got to the promised land. We are walking in a wilderness as God's people until the Lord Jesus either returns or he takes us out of here. We're going home one day. So that's what we're saying. So, so this is how David said, God's glory through us in our sufferings. So what is the uh, purpose of this letter? God's glory in and through our sufferings. That's what the Holy Spirit is emphasizing here. So first of all, chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, <clears throat> to those who reside as aliens, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, and who are the chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Spirit to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. May grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. Now, when you read that, you do realize, of course, that there are 16 weeks of teachings right there. 
Does everybody see that? Chosen, sanctification, foreknowledge. I mean, these are massive understandings. But we're simply not going to emphasize in any particular way any of them unless the Holy Spirit is calling us to it. So in these two verses, we're introduced to who? The author and the audience. Now, the author is what man? The apostle Peter. Now, when we say the author is Paul or Peter, when we say it's Titus, when we say the author is Jeremiah, when we say the author is any man's name, he is the earthly author, but who is the divine author of Scripture? The Holy Spirit is the author. So what we make sure we do when we are talking about the Apostle Peter says this and he says that, that's okay to say. As long, or we say the Apostle Paul says this or John says that, that's okay as long as we actively understand and remember that John and Peter and James, Nehemiah, Ezra, you see? You didn't know you'd be a part of this class, did you? These men are speaking on behalf of God who has given them this word. So it is these men as the instrument, but it is the Holy Spirit who is speaking in these verses, in these chapters, right? We understand that. I think we all know that. But it's very important for constantly to remember this. And the scripture that is written to them is also as applicable to who? To us. To whom, rather? To us. Correct? So it's applicable to them and it is applicable to us. So when Peter says to the saints and to, you know, whatever, and he's writing to the, he's also, the Holy Spirit is also writing to us. We have to remember that. Peter was, who is he? He's an apostle of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> the word apostle means, is the word apostolos. It means a messenger. In the, just a sense of the word, it means just someone who is sent somewhere by someone with a message. So the boss sends somebody to take this message over there. This man, if you would, is an apostle in that sense. Now, in the New Testament, it takes on a little different connotation as one who has God's personal authority for uh, transmitting the uh, word of God and building the church. It's a little different in the New Testament, but generically, the word uh, apostolos in the Greek just means somebody sent on a, uh, with a message to someone else. He's an apostle of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> in other words, Peter has been called. He's been saved. He's been called He's been chosen. He's been uh, uh, gifted. He's been uh, uh, what, what anointed by the Holy Spirit for the purpose of being an apostle. Each one of us is an apostle of Jesus Christ. Do you believe that? <clears throat> Each one of us is here today, not because you chose God, but because what? He chose you. We are here under God's dominion. Remember what I first said. We're under the dominion of God to be the people of God, to walk out the word of God for the glory of God. That's who we are. So Peter was chosen. Remember in Ephesians 4, 1.14, when was he chosen? When were we chosen by God? Before the foundation of the world. Do we have it yet? You're not a believer because you asked Jesus to save you. Do you have that, Carolyn? Do you get that? Bridget, do you get that? Farrell, 
We're not here because we called on Jesus. We are here because Jesus, by the Holy Spirit, came to us and birthed us into his kingdom and caused us, energized us, empowered us to call upon him or, as John 1.13 says, to receive him. Do we understand that? We are here because God's will ordained before the foundation of the world that we would be here. He didn't ask us to be here. He commanded us to be here. Do we see that? We are here because of the eternal decree of God himself. That's why you were here. That decree has called us, and that decree will keep us till the end. If it were because of my call to him, it may be that I uncall myself, if you would, and drop out of him. He has decreed that I would be saved, and he has decreed all the issues about my salvation. He has decreed how I will be kept saved, and he has decreed that I will be saved to the uttermost in heaven forever. Amen? And that's the same thing for each of us. That's why it's so important to understand some of these little terms. So he is to take the message. Now, the audience. The audience or the strangers or aliens or those who are dispersed. It depends on which translation. It's the word diaspora, and which actually technically talked about the dispersion of the Jews. Remember when the uh, Assyrians came in in 721 and dispersed the northern kingdom all over the world. That's the diaspora, the scattered people. It's that word. But it necessarily doesn't mean Jews. It's just a word, Anton, that means you've been scattered all around. That's all it means, really. And so... These are believers who were scattered throughout what is today Turkey or Asia Minor. And he, he, he names the provenance, provinces in that area of the world. They're scattered. They're not only scattered, what does he call them? They are aliens. Do you see that in the notes or have that in the notes? They are aliens. What does that mean, they're aliens? doesn't mean they're from Mars. What does that mean? That they are not spiritually of the same kingdom of the people with whom they live. They are not spiritually of the same kingdom of the people with whom they live. Are we aliens? We're aliens in what respect? We are members of the kingdom of God and we reside in a world that is dominated or controlled by the God of this world, correct? Remember 2 Corinthians 4, 4. The God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving. Satan, 1 John 5, 19. The whole world lies in the authority of the enemy, of Satan. So we are in a foreign land as believers. But we're not only in a foreign land. We are in an absolutely antagonistic land. We are in a land that is naturally antagonistic. In other words, nature itself, because of the fall, is antagonistic to the purpose of God. Correct? Death and destruction are all around us. Why? Because of the fall. Because it's come under the curse. And so we're in a world naturally that is antagonistic to God. You see that, don't you? But we're in a world more significantly spiritually 
that is antagonistic to God. Now, that means this. Immediately when we see that, we know that that, what do you call it? What word I want to promise is suffering. Suffering. How is the glory of God going to be manifested in us who are aliens who are living under the domain of the enemy in a fallen antagonistic world? Any aspect of the glory of God, hmm. any aspect of the glory of God in us will only be revealed through some sort of, to some degree of suffering. Now, the suffering that we experience is not being taken out and beaten and, you know, deprived and starved to death and shot. But the suffering that we, as every believer, the suffering essentially most significantly that resides in us as believers is this. My flesh does not like God. My flesh does not like God. My fallen mind does not like God. That surprised you, Lisa? In the natural, we don't like God. Oh, no, brother. No, 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 no. I love God. I love God. Unless you are a child of God, you do not love God. Why? Because you cannot. That's the epicenter of all our suffering. Because when you want to be angry with someone, Mary, someone has just done something to you that you're angry about. Where is the struggle to obey God? In your guts. Mm. Mm. With your emotions. Mm. I heard that. I heard that echo. I like that. When you want to get your own way, Gordon, and you can't get it. Mm, the frustration. It's politely. That's in your guts. There's the issue of suffering more than any other place. But that is just a part of the suffering. The suffering is everywhere in all kinds of categories. But I want us to see this. Typically, when we talk about the suffering of believers, you know, we think about China. Anna, you should see those people in China. Man, they're putting them in jail. They're killing them. They're cutting their heads off. Um, the Muslims, that's suffering. Well, it is. And we, it is that kind of thing, too, we have to be prepared for. But the suffering specifically that we're not prepared for if we're not careful and that we encounter every day is the suffering that I experience when I am wrestling with God against myself. I am continually wrestling with God against myself. You see that at, with at J, Jacob at Jabok. He's wrestling all night with a man. That's where my suffering is. Steve, that's where your suffering is. Let my wife say something to me I don't like. There's a suffering in me. And then she hits me. So I, 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 I suffer doubly. I have bruises on me that you don't see. 
I can show you my arms. I'm mistreated and treated badly. And so these believers are living under Roman rule. Now, you can imagine what that means, Roman rule. We think we have a difficult here. But now, here's the understanding. Many believe these are just Jews and some Gentiles. I believe that Gentiles were some Jews, but it doesn't matter. We don't argue the point. The point is this. These are men and women who belong to the kingdom of God and who are under the rule of Satan in this kingdom of Rome. Whether you're under the rule of Satan in the United States of America, it doesn't matter. It's still under the dominion, if you would, the lower, you know, natural dominion of Satan. But we are the kingdom of God people in this dominion. You do see that. And they're being harassed, ridiculed, ignored, rejected, prejudiced. I mean, today, it's amazing. We think racial prejudice today is unique to the United States of America. <gasps> prejudice and racism is wrong. Can you say amen? Did you just hear what I said? But we don't even understand what it's all about unless you will go to other countries. They'll kill you for certain issues of your religion or your race. They'll kill you. Today, they may make fun of you. They'll kill you in some place. So racism is pandemic. It's an issue of our fallen nature. Prejudice, racism, ridicule, hatred, and all of that. And so these people were being mistreated by the neighbors. They live, you know, Nero was king. It was written during the time of probably Nero. Now, we think about Nero. Okay, that horrible time when... Christians were really persecuted. Well, in the vicinity of Rome itself and in the regions in that area, the, the persecution historically is, is pretty bad. But when you move from Italy, way go way over to Asia Minor, the persecution that is experienced by those Christians who live immediately within the domain of Rome, you know, immediately so, you understand that, are not... The persecution isn't that way, way out there. They're just not doing it. The persecution there is much more of a social persecution, cultural persecution, financial persecution. Oh, you don't like the way Romans are doing it? You, you, you worship this God called Jesus? Don't buy your food from me anymore. Just don't buy your food from me. Go somewhere else. When they go worship God somewhere else, I don't want your business. So what happens when the businesses begin to say no to you? What happens when you can't ride the buses? What happens when you, do you see this? This is what was happening. Who are you? We don't want you in our family anymore. This is the persecution probably more than any other kind of thing that they are experiencing. Certainly there is some horrible persecution, but the, probably the, the greater part of it is this kind of social, political, economic, et cetera, persecution that's going on. So we shouldn't think of Romans are coming in and stabbing everybody and, and putting everybody on crosses, and that's what, it, what happens when you're... No, it's the, quote, normal thing that people who don't like you do. Do we have persecution? Of course we do. Let me see where I am. Peter's purpose, 
is to encourage them in their faith by explaining God's purpose in their suffering. The Apostle Peter wants to encourage them and strengthen them and to teach them to live the normal Christian life in an abnormal place. Keep loving one another. Keep caring for one another. Keep ministering to one another. Keep praying for one another. Keep whatever. Do this and don't do that. Why? Why? Because it all has to do with the glory of God in the midst of a place that hates God. That's what he's talking about here. That kind of suffering and what to do about it. So he's going to tell us or explain to us and um, unpack for us God's purpose. Why am I not light? Why do people mistreat me as a believer? Well, hopefully it's not because you're mean as a snake. I mean, did you get that, Pharaoh? Hopefully you're not as mean as a snake. No, no, Pharaoh understands this. He has people mean as, you don't think I meant Pharaoh was mean. Oh, shame on you. I did that because Pharaoh was sleeping. So, you know, seriously, hopefully it's not because you were mean and nasty and hateful and now they're mistreating you. Well, you may deserve that mistreatment, Stephen. You curse the guy out now. Okay, well, and Peter will talk about that if you're suffering for righteousness. But if you're not, yeah, shame on you. You know, you're getting what you deserve. But look, I'm mistreated. I'm left out. I'm not appreciated. I'm rejected. Whatever, whatever, whatever. All of that. All of that is the opportunity for God to show in me, in my response, how glorious he is in a man or in you, a woman, a man, who have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. Do we see that? That's what Peter's talking about here. This is what's supposed to be happening. This is what we're all about. Linda, you were saved for this purpose. If you don't like suffering, tell God to take, take you out of the kingdom of God. The next time you complain about suffering, and Gene would tell you, Peter has to remember this. I know this. I know how this is. I have to fight it all the time. If you complain about your suffering, anybody do that? And you don't have to ask God to take you out of the kingdom. Because, Beth, you ain't going to get away without suffering in this world. It ain't happening. All who trust Jesus will suffer what? Persecution. Somebody said that to someone somewhere. I forgot. Steve, do you remember where that is? Oh, I thought you did. I was going to say, ask Steve Zeringer. He knows where it is. These people, okay, Peter's bad. Therefore, his instructions are grounded. Look where he grounds his instructions. Upon the fact that they have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. They have been chosen by the foreknowledge of God the Father. When were they chosen? Before the foundation. Why were they chosen? Because God decided to create them to be chosen. God decided to create them to be chosen. He didn't say, I will choose them after they were created. He created them to be his chosen people. (sighs) Got it, Warren? He foreknew us. 
He foreknew us personally. He just didn't know things about us. He knew us personally. You see that in 1 Peter 1.20. He foreknew Christ. He foreknew Jesus. In what way? The Father knows the Son. The Son knows the Father. They know one another. They fellowship and relate to one another. And in the same way, God the Father knows us that way. He knows us. So he created us what? To be chosen, right, Darlene? Creators to be chosen. So you were created to be saved. You didn't get saved because of whatever. We must put the whole issue of our walk and our way of life, etc. where? In God, in his decree, in his dominion, in his rule over all the world. And for what reason have they been chosen? Look at uh, the verse. He says, to obey Jesus Christ. Oh. Oh. I mean, Paul puts it the same way, essentially, in one five, uh, Romans one fifteen. Oh, sorry, Romans one five. Oh, to obey. I don't like to be told what to do. Right, Patsy? I don't like to be told what to do. Cody with a K. I don't like to be told what to do. I don't like it when Peter tells me I should be in school of the word. I don't like it when they say we should be giving a tithe. I don't like it. Well, Jason, go tell God. Go tell God. You were saved for what purpose? To obey Jesus Christ because in that is the glory of God being manifested. Amen, Annie? Amen. That's where it is. All they say in New Orleans, that's where it's at. Oh, I understand now what he's saying. That's where it's at. To obey Jesus Christ. You see how we don't like these little verses? We kind of skip over them quickly. I don't want to do that. It's hard. I don't like it. I don't feel comfortable. I don't feel, feel, want me. Floyd, that's not what we're about. It's a struggle of suffering in our humanity to obey the will of God contrary to our fallen flesh. Do we see it? To obey God, how? By embracing God's use of our suffering. Look at a quote of Second Thessalonians here. By embracing God's use of their suffering so that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ will be glorified in you and you in him. Second Thessalonians 1.12 is a major verse of purpose, Celeste, for your life. So when things, Celeste, are not going your way, remember that verse. Peter is going to use the title, and I must get going on this, the title Jesus Christ nine times. Why does he do that? I believe, I believe he does that to show this, that suffering is all about manifesting Jesus. Jesus' dominion in me, Jesus' salvation of me, Jesus' sanctifying of me by the Holy Spirit. All of our suffering is under the control, the dominion, and the use of the Lord Jesus Christ. Very quickly, why does he say Jesus Christ nine times? First of all, the word Jesus is a compound name. I think it's in your notes. The word Jesus is a compound name. In Exodus 3.14, remember Moses has confronted, God has confronted Moses, rather. Moses confronted God. How do you like that? 
God has confronted Moses in the fiery bush. Remember that? And he says, I am that I am and so on. And then Moses says, you're going to send me back. What name shall I say? When he asks for the name, Carrie, he's asking, whose authority? Who are you? What can you do for us? That's what the word name means. What kind of a character is this God? He says, tell them that Yah, J-A, Yah hath sent you. You remember that? And so in, in Numbers, where is it? I've forgotten. 10 or 12. Is it in Numbers 13, 12? Where do I have it? Yeah, 13, 16. In Numbers 13, 16, the Bible says that Moses, talking about Joshua, changed his name from Hosea to Joshua, Yeshua. The word Hosea means deliverer, salvation. And so Jesus is Yeshua, Yeshua. Yah and Hosea combined means either God is salvation, the Lord is our Savior, or God saves. It's about God's salvation through a man. Because it's Jesus incarnate, it's the, the name of the, it's the incarnational name of the Son of God, right? John 1.14, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of what? What? Grace and truth. So Jesus, Yeshua, or Joshua, is the incarnational name of the Son of God when he took on flesh. So it has to do with God's purpose of saving us. You shall call his name Jesus because he will save his people from their sin. Remember Matthew one twenty one. Now the word Christ is the word Christos from the Greek, which means Messiah. It comes from the word Misha. So when you read the Old Testament... God, you know, this one anointed that one. Moses anointed Aaron. The, the king was anointed. It's all from the word Misha, which means a, a pouring out of oil for a specific holy purpose of God, for the purpose of doing something or being someone in God as to the, holy, I mean, as to the will of God. Specifically, the priests were all anointed, Misha. They were anointed. Christ means this man is God's anointed priest. Or Messiah for the purpose of delivering his people. So in the Hebrew is Yeshua HaMashiach. That's the Hebrew of it. And so when he says that, Peter is anchoring everything about suffering in the very purpose and person of Jesus Christ. I have here. Jesus Christ is the name of him who is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He's the one who's being accentuated and manifested in the way we respond to our sufferings. Jesus Christ is the one who has been given dominion and glory and a kingdom. Remember in Daniel 14, the son of man comes to the throne. Remember that? Jesus Christ is the divine name of the son of man who is sitting at the right hand of the power coming with the clouds of heaven. What is the significance of this title? Nine times he uses it in his letter. Nine times. That says something. The title shows that our salvation necessitated the sufferings of Jesus so that as a result, we have been forgiven, redeemed, regenerated, and adopted by God. This title assures us that all of our sufferings are under the domain or the dominion of the Lord Jesus as he as, as he uses them for the glory of God. 
Now, I want to give you one more statement that I felt the Holy Spirit give me. You can write it down if you want. It's not in your notes. All of our sufferings, I want to say it slowly enough if you're writing notes. All of our sufferings. How many? Make sure you underline all. All of our sufferings are about Jesus. For God's glory. They are about our gratitude to him. As our suffering savior. They are about our submission to him. As the king of kings. So that the Holy Spirit is literally forming Jesus in us through our sufferings by faith. For the glory of God. Do we see that? That's the thing we need to remember about sufferings. It's all about Jesus. It's all from Jesus. He, he directs it. He is the architect. He is the one who is domain over and ruling over and in all of our sufferings. And it's all for him, from him, but about him. As glorified in the Lord Jesus, now being glorified in us who are in Christ. As we are submitting to our sufferings in a faith way. Remembering and knowing and believing and walking out and responding. As those who are filled with joy. James says, count it all joy when you suffer. Why? Persecution. Why? Because Jesus is more and more being manifested in me, Chris, in my sufferings. Do we see that? Now, next week, we'll go into the next block, verses 3 to 12. Okay?